Hello and welcome to the 100 Day Writing Challenge, Day 99. So, years of doing free shows at the Edinburgh Fringe and watching street performers keyed me into the concept of the hat pitch. That is to say, before you finish the show, the ostensibly free show, right before your closer, your grand finale, you, you sting the audience for money. And often, especially with street performers, uh, that the hat pitch is actually surprisingly aggressive at least from this confrontation averse Englishman's perspective, maybe to other people it's merely assertive. But for it to work, it, it, it can't be, um, as I found out, comfortable. I'm on my, my naive assumption would be that it would be a sort of kind of ingratiation, ingratiating, 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 ingratiate, you know. Ing I assumed it would be ingratiating, that it would, it would, it would maintain the kind of smooth uh, rapport that had developed between the between the performer and the audience it wouldn't sort of want to trouble that at all but no no that's not what happens at all uh, i don't know if you've ever seen this yourself but the performers are often quite happy to sacrifice any goodwill they've built up with the crowd over the course of their 20-minute performance to create an atmosphere of discomfort and social pressure once i perform this trick i will be passing around a hat i heard one magician say do not put in coins i am not a beggar i want things that fold and he wasn't smiling, he, he wasn't winking at the audience to let them know he was joking. And of course, what a terrible thing that would be to say if he were serious. No, he was absolutely deadly serious. And that's more or less the norm for successful street performers that, that I've seen. I got to spend actually one entire uh, season sort of on the uh, Royal Mind in Edinburgh every day, often watching the same or multiple different performers perform again and again and again and again and again and I really really uh, took the patter to heart and then of course I've performed myself doing free shows on the free fringe and you have to decide how you're going to do it and uh, you know when you can get sort of 200 300 up to like 600 quid in a hat for a in cash for a 20 minute performance in a prime spot and you're doing a one and done show you know that is to say you know you're not trying to cultivate a fan base here you never see these people again. The, the optimal approach, at least from a financial perspective, is to spend 50 minutes being lovely, convivial, funny, building rapport, and then just turn suddenly on a sixpence, make people feel deeply uncomfortable, imply that the fact that they've been here watching you makes them freeloaders somehow. And by staying, they're agreeing to a social contract, namely that they're going to pay you, and then you leave them in a position whereby the only way they can alleviate the sudden discomfort they can feel is by either turning just before you do your trick and visibly with you watching make their way back through a dense crowd, or they can stick around and pay you. It's brutal, like so many aspects of sales, right? It's it's not meant to be nice. It's not made for human comfort. It's made to make money. You know, exploiting human emotions, our empathy towards one another and natural vulnerability and our desire to feel accepted, to feel liked. You know, that's, that's profitable because we care about each other, right? And you can use that. We care about our own well-being as well. We don't want to be disliked by the humans around us. When I was doing a one-man show, my takings for the night, what people put in the bucket at the end, and often it was just a pint glass, but that that all 
that more than doubled if I made sure I was the one holding the bucket as people left. So they had to walk past me and I saw what they put in. It was so weird. Uh, and I knew I was doing that, right? Like, it's, it's like, it's like they, they call it kind of vickering people out of a gig, right? Where you actually are there and you look them in the eyes and they have to speak to you and maybe you shake their hands, right? It's it's like guilt, social prepper, pressure, you know, having to actually make eye contact with me made people pay more. Partly, I think, just to relieve those negative feelings. So I put out my podcast for writers, Death of a Thousand Cuts, for free. And I've made my two courses for writers, the Couch to 80k Writing Bootcamp and this, the 100 Day Writing Challenge, completely free for anyone who wants to use them. And I've got a Kofi account where people, if they want to, can drop me whatever they think is reasonable to help me cover my hosting costs for SoundCloud and my website. So this is the point in the course where conventional wisdom, uh, that is to say the wisdom of the street performer, um, dictates that I would put in the hat pitch and not mediate it by saying but don't worry you know I don't expect you to help me out it's up to you just would be a hand handy if you could something like that you know that would that would by the brutal calculus of street performance definitely reduce my take probably by at least half right because I would want you to feel some discomfort that could only be alleviated by sending me money. But, as you've no doubt heard at the end of every single episode, my writing and producing and recording this course was underwritten by Arts Council England. They gave me a grant. Some of costs have been covered. So I, I was doing all that set up kind of as a tease, really, because I'm genuinely not going to do a hat pitch today. Uh, I'm not. This isn't. This isn't even an attempt at a meta hat pitch because those just don't exist. That's just something that only someone who wasn't going to make any money was going to say. But like genuinely, it's just for me to say you don't have to send me anything because the Arts Council underwrote my costs to be able to do this. Uh, I've been paid. Uh, it's a completely free course, um, and quality creative writing resources should be free as far as possible at the point of use because. Most of them cost loads of money, almost all of them. Almost all access to creative writing education is mediated by money, is behind a paywall, almost all books. Um, you know, you have to pay to get writers' books on creative writing. You have to pay loads to get quote-unquote masterclasses. I'm not saying people shouldn't don't deserve to be paid for their labour. That's the system we work under that means that people are able to find shelter and, and feed their families. But it also means that creative writing is a country club full of invisible barriers. That is much, much easier for the comfortably off. Or even just, you know, middle class people with some spare income. It is palpably harder for anyone who has to watch their ingoings and outgoings each month. Just every one of those investments is a decision and can sting. And at some point you might think, is it worth it? And as far as I can, I want to contribute to helping. You know, for what it's worth. You know, I think there are 
enough invisible barriers to creative writing without adding to more of them. However, so just to say, you know, like if you want to do something, if, if this has been useful to you or moved the needle in some small way or helped you make a change or whatever, and you're feeling like, oh, you know, I feel like I would like to do something, you know, I'd like to react in some way. I don't know. Um, if you'd like to help out or pay it forward or show your appreciation or whatever, I have got three suggestions and none of them involve money. Um, one, you could thank Arts Council England. Go to their website. The, there's an email address there. You could drop them a line. They support the arts all over England. They make it so not everything is about commerce and making money. They help artists like me and like you. Um, and quite a lot of the time their work is invisible to the general public, except for like a little Arts Council logo, logo in the corner of a, a flyer. They're pretty good about that. They, they like it if you acknowledge them. But that's about it, right? They don't dictate the nature of the art that you produce just because I sit there but I can let it happen right that's really cool if you want to thank anyone for like their generosity people sometimes you know send me emails and say it's really generous of you to do this it's kind of you but actually in terms of generosity and like lack of ego and stuff I think and commitment the staff at the Arts Council are the folks to write to and thank not me just for the I, I'm just saying that I think it's for transparency and honesty They've underwritten this course. They've done the admin. They decided to approve my application to get a small grant to do this. So if you want to thank anyone, they're the ones who paid for you to be able to do this. They, they're the ones who made it possible for this to be a free course. Secondly, you could drop me an email just to let me know how you got on. Just, you know, what stories and characters you came up with, what challenges you overcame, what you're hoping to do next. Like, I, some of you, you may have already done that. But I just love to hear from people who've done this. You know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a lonely business. I know podcasters are kind of like the uh, lighthouse keepers of the modern world. It's not It's not actually a terribly lonely business. I sort of interact with uh, and, and dialogue with listeners all the time. And it's lovely. And I kind of like talking in this format actually it's like throwing out little sort of messages in bottles and i in, enjoy having some space just to chat so um it's not that but nonetheless i do love hearing from people it's just like oh wow i'm connecting with humans how cool how awesome and um everyone has a different experience and you've probably had an experience as well so um, it makes me feel inspired as well. I'm not saying this, saying I'm not fishing for you for compliments or for you to thank me. Uh, although I would, obviously, having said that, I'm not so thick-skinned that I especially want you to email me a long list of abuse. I'd, I'd rather you kept it sort of reasonably congenial. But um, if you would like to say hello, let me know how you got on. Tell me a bit about your journey. Um, you can go to my website, timclairpoet.co.uk and click on the contact me link and you can send me a message via that. Um, I don't always have time to reply to everyone who writes, uh, but sometimes I just forget to respond. Sometimes, if I'm completely honest, I can't be bothered. <laughs> like I, I don't mean like I don't care. I just, like often the message... It, it, is fine like it's it, it, they conveyed everything it doesn't need me to reply going thanks like it's like yeah it's it's an awesome it's an awesome message um and i'm sure that you know okay and sometimes i genuinely forget 
and sometimes I do have time. It catches me at the right time. It pops up on my phone, and I just send the message back saying, "Oh, thank you." But I do promise I read every single one. That is definitely true, and I do really love them. <laughs> like I, I mean, just I, they're great. They help me do my work better and make the podcast better, so I could help more writers, and they made me happy. So. Yeah, second suggestion, you could drop me a line. Thirdly, and this is the one actually, you know, I don't little water things down, but I suppose this is the one that would mean the most to me personally, if you want to say thank you somehow. Um, this is the one that I deeply appreciate and that would feel like a genuine kindness if you were able to do it. Um, I'm not the only ha- artist in my household, I'm married to an incredible musician who's working in various bands. I've been in awe of for years. Before we were married, before we were going out, and before um, we knew each other, I was a I was a fanboy. Um, not not in a not in a creepy way, but um, obviously it did go there in the end, didn't it? Um, look, the the point is like. Um, genuinely my wife is an inspiration to me someone who works tirelessly writing songs practicing promoting her work you know writing to journalists and and promoters and uh, djs and all this kind of invisible work that bands have to do just to get people to listen to them and talk about them and all sorts of things in this kind of changing landscape and she but also she's just this person who gives herself fully to creating music for its own sake and creates amazing costumes for her bands and writes amazing lyrics and performs the first time i saw her she was on stage i walked into a room and there was this band playing music and screaming and blasting out static on every frequency known to science and it was uh, I was absolutely gobsmacked and um, I don't think the shock of that has ever left me but then underneath and behind and weaved through all of that were these incredible melodies and hooks and I wasn't sure if I liked it at first and then at some point I was like where's the hook where's the hook and then suddenly one day I was listening and I was like oh my god it's it's all hooks <laughs> and and that was it and I was like oh I think this might be one of my favourite bands ever genuinely I'm not just saying this because I, I liked actually like a lot of my friends who are also artists I often liked their stuff before I liked them because I didn't know them um, and that was true of her band and her music and her work and yeah that's that's the person i ended up and she does it despite all the frustrations and setbacks of the industry now this year like for obvious reasons i'm recording this in april of 2020 her band has seen all of their gigs cancelled their album launch that they've been working so hard towards cancelled basically everything they've spent all their free time all their evenings you know they've all got full-time jobs parents they put their hearts and souls into this rehearsed written recorded produced made 
you know, handmade album covers. And it's all been wiped out by the pandemic. Her band is called Mega Emotion. They're like synth pop with like lots of heavy drums. And they're really, really good. I've put a link in the show notes to today's episode, but you can also just Google Mega Emotion. Uh, I'm also going to play out this episode with like a tiny little snatch of their music. What I'm asking is, and I realise this is a little bit of a sidestep, but I'd really appreciate it if you could go listen to some of their music and share their sound cloud and share. Well, I'll put their Bandcamp page uh, up as a link in the show notes, and I'd really appreciate it if you could share that on whatever channels are available to you. I know, I know, it's a big ask i know it's a bit it's not to do with creative writing per se but that would mean the most to me out of anything you could do you paying it forward you know i put out this course and you pay it forward generate a bit of good karma whatever by doing this thing to support some artists some fellow artists just like you who you don't know sharing their work just to make the world a better place Maybe leaving them a like or a comment. And if you like it, you can always drop them a couple of quid through their SoundCloud or you can pre-order their new album that's going to be coming out when all of this is over, you know. I know music taste is, is very personal, so you can always blame me if you post about them. You know, you can say you're sharing it as a personal favour to Tim Clare. But who knows, you might actually love it. You might actually find your new favourite band and who doesn't want to find suddenly find music that they absolutely love to bits, right? Because you, you, here's the thing, right? Here's the way I try and link this back in. I think a lot of authors, a lot of famous writers only had their careers because there were people behind them taking care of shit. You know, in case of men particularly, uh, I, I can't not acknowledge that, but also wealthy people as well but in case of men it would be like wives looking after their children servants doing the cleaning sometimes wealthy patrons bankrolling them or rich parents giving them a stipend henry david thoreau spent like two years in nature at walden pond and wrote about simplicity and nature and independence and and didn't mention for all that time that he had his mum to do his laundry this thing we do writing stories art it's rarely easy for any of us even people who are well off who have a team of people around them supporting them it can still be extremely hard and maybe that's why sometimes people get defensive about it because <laughs> when you sort of learn that you've had all this privilege and you go but i still find it really frigging difficult and you're saying like i've ha- i've been do- doing it uneasy but i find it really hard <laughs> But I struggle every day. And you're saying I'm I'm doing it the easy way. What? It's terrible. That's a terrifying prospect, right? Especially if that carries a suggestion that someone might make it, you know, to, to make things fair, it might be made harder for you. You're like, I'm clinging on by my fingernails. <laughs> what? Doesn't mean it's not true and doesn't mean we can't use that difficult medicine as a source of empathy for people who and you know you this may be no surprise to you because you may 
have circumstances that make it a lot harder for you than it has been for me. I'm not shaming anyone for these advantages. To do so is partly to spit on the contribution of all the people who supported them silently without credit. But I think it's good for our hearts to recognise the mountains of invisible work by others that make writing possible and to lift up our fellow artists and our supporters when and where we can. You know, we're all human, we're all family, we're all, for better or for worse, connected. I was only able to finish my last novel because of all the time my wife dedicated to childcare, looking after our then baby daughter. And now she could really, really use your help. So that's what I'm asking for. That's that's it. That's the pitch. I'm doing what I can to help her like she's helped me. And if you could help me make that real, I'd really appreciate it. I'll, I'll include a little snatch of uh, music at the end of today's episode. Just imagine if it was really shit. <laughs> imagine if after all that, that impassioned speech, like imagine if the band was really bad. Like it, that would be quite funny, wouldn't it? A true test of your commitment to the idea of artistic karma and paying it forward. Do I still believe in these core principles when the band is just someone playing a glockenspiel while reciting epic poetry about their past life as a jaguar? Um, okay, so thanks for hearing me out. I realise sort of you might have preferred I just stung you for money given the link that that went on for, but um, just wanted while I've while I've still got you here, that was my little bit of indulgence so thank you for indulging me and um, today i want to well today i'd like you to think about endings how do you close a story how do you tap out signal to the reader that a novel is finished end something satisfyingly what should a last page a last paragraph a last line actually do what's its quote unquote job this is, I think, and please do correct me if I'm wrong, because I might well be wrong. I am often wrong. I uh, make something of a habit of it. I'm something of a beast in that regard. But I think this is one of the least written about topics in creative writing pedagogy. The last line. How do you write it? What's its function? I suppose we don't talk about it much because it's really hard to consider without the context of the entire novel that came before it, right? Like, is that a good line? I don't know. Depends which novel it came from if you swapped it round and put it on a different novel probably wouldn't be you'd be like well that doesn't make any sense what do you mean these waves beating back ceaselessly this is novel hasn't is set in land where were these waves coming from there's a little great Gatsby reference for those of you who are listening those of you who were scoring points um no I suppose like the answer like how do you write it what's its function and it's so, you know, it's hard, I guess, if you're teaching creative writing to come up with exercises around last lines, because you can't really ask people to write an entire novel just to give you the build up. Right. But the problem of performing a clean dismount doesn't just come at the end of your novel. It happens at the end of every chapter, the end of every scene. Each time there's a clear break, whether there's a shift in time or place, you're called upon to signal that somehow to the reader to make a little neat crimp in the pie crust. 
not just with a line break, but but structurally, thematically, stylistically. How how do we know that you know that your scene has just ended? Because we know on an instinctual level that it would be weird to just end a scene with lines like, hey, James, he said, setting his binoculars down on the dining room table. It's nice to see you again. I took off my coat. End scene. That would be jarring. Like we, we feel like the scene ended in the middle, you know, like even though it's hard to articulate what a scene ending is, we kind of know what a scene ending isn't. We want things to somehow, you know, be resolved. But we also know that ending a scene isn't about resolving things. Scenes can end on a cliffhanger, on some revelation, the unexpected arrival of a character, all sorts of cuts that leave a scene in the middle of a moment, but feel like an ending. It's odd, isn't it? Continuing our final run of exercises that feel a bit lighter, a bit more fun, but ones that I still think are substantial and valuable. Today, you're going to be doing another list exercise, this time of possible last lines for books that do not exist. Could be the final sentences for a scene or for a novel. All I'm really encouraging you to do here is, is get a sense of what your instinct says these lines sound and feel like. Um, I'm not going to ask you to dive into this completely in the nud so here are some final lines from famous stroke well-regarded novels I'm not include the titles of the novels because that's not the point and i suppose it might be mildly spoilery but if i don't then i i'm guessing you'll forget them until you get to the end of those novels and then you go oh oh i get that. that was the ending of that um also you know I, I, it's not the point i just want you to see focus on how these authors did it you know what the lines stand like if you if you hear one you know well done give yourself a smarty and go to the top of the class but um this isn't about scoring literary points right here we go something that had been a man the tombs bore the names of tom and maggie tulliver and below the names it was written in their death they were not divided. I had walled the monster up within the tomb. He trotted off towards the house, going hippity-hippity-hop like an elderly Christopher Robin. And when the long-awaited white fingers of water tapped and lapped on Oscar's lips, he welcomed them in as he always had with a scream, like a small boy caught in the sheepfolds of a nightmare. When Margaret grows up, she will have a daughter, who is to be Peter's mother in turn, and thus it will go on, so long as children are gay and innocent and heartless. She walked him away with her, however, as if, she had given him now the key to patience. But wherever they go and whatever happens to them on the way, in that enchanted place in the top of the forest, a little boy and his bear will always be playing. You can probably guess that last one. So that's eight ways authors have tackled the hard problem of creative writing, how to finish stuff. How to signal we're done here without writing those immortal words. The end. And now it's your turn. Only you don't have the burden of writing the whole novel that comes beforehand. This might seem like a frivolous way of doing things, but I am deadly serious. 
Very early on in the creation of the honours, I knew the last sentence. I've chatted to plenty of authors for whom nailing the last sentence, not the first, is what gets them through the book. They know what they're sailing towards. They know what the finish is going to taste like when they arrive. They know the closing shot. My goodness, is that a potent, inspiring tonic to get you through the tough times. And it's useful. It's practical. You know what you're setting up. It gives you a thematic bullseye. So have a play in this exercise. Experiment with long lines, short lines, fancy ones, simple ones, moments of revelation, perhaps still quiet moments of reflection. Maybe a lingering image, a definite emotional tone, maybe a piece of dialogue. So many ways to approach it. Have fun. Obviously, you're not going to know the context, but that's where you can sort of tease yourself, if you like. Show yourself a little bit of leg, texturally speaking. You, you can imagine you're an archaeologist in covering these fragments of text from novels you've never read. You know, these orphan endings. I wonder what stories they'll suggest. Good luck. I'll give you ten minutes of quiet in which to compose them. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go.
And there you have it. I hope that was a nice bit of uh, free space to experiment with composing a closer. Hope you enjoyed it and at least have some... At least some have left you feeling hmm, like your brain starts to try to build a little home for it. A little world in which that final sentence could exist. An ecosystem. That's what creativity is, mostly. Um, at least in my experience, you know, it's encountering something strange and vivid, out of context, and trying to construct a world in which it can live. Thank you for today. Tomorrow I'll see you for our final ever session together. I'm feeling rather emotional. In the meantime, I'll play you out with a bit of my wife's band, Mega Emotion. There's a link to their Bandcamp page in today's show notes. And you you can go and listen to their music. And if you fancy, pre-order their new album. At the time of recording, the launch has been postponed. Uh, but it will happen. It would mean so, so much to me and more to them. If you could have a listen, share you like what you hear pre-order the digital albums i think like six quid and it's going to be brilliant right take care thank you see you tomorrow day writing challenge is made possible with the kind support of Arts Council England.